Welcome back everyone. My name is Chloe. I'm the founder of Thyself, the wellness and disruptive platform you all love to see online and everywhere else. So today I'm back at the most wonderful place, Foundation FM, and this is the catch-up show with Thyself. You might also see us on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify Podcasts under the title of Self Care Sis, the podcast. We are delighted to be celebrating the month of May with some amazing guests, but most importantly, we're going to be covering the subject of motherhood. This particular show is around motherhood and pregnancy through the lens of education, inclusivity, wellness, and spirituality. So the reason behind this theme for May is that me, the founder of Thyself, has recently personally announced my own first pregnancy to the world, which was nerve wracking. However, I want to learn and I want to share this experience with you, the Thyself community, as well as the Foundation FM community. And just so we can learn from the best and the most underrated voices in the UK around motherhood from, you know, ideation to conception, your actual pregnancy journey, the first, second, third and fourth trimester. And then we'll go into motherhood, the realness, the things that you don't usually hear, the things that we're not taught. So this show is all about that. I can't wait to get stuck in. I think it's going to be a great learning curve for us all. And as always, thanks for rocking with us. We love you. Um, Thyself is always here. So our Instagram is open 24-7 in terms of our DMs. If you have any questions, if you have any pointers, if you have any advice, once you're listening to this, hit us up. Let us know what you think. We want to hear from you guys as you are so important. So let's get into this. I'm Marley and um, I'm a midwife. I've been a midwife for 12 years and um, I spent most of that time in the NHS. It's funny because prior prior to me becoming a midwife, I did a a degree in broadcast media because I wanted to be a journalist. And then I had my first child at 18 and then um, I was kind of dabbling whether to become a journalist or a midwife. So anyway, completed my degree, then decided I wanted to be a midwife. So then I went back to uni again, a midwife. Um, and yeah, I worked in the NHS for 11 years and then last year I decided to go independent. So now what I do is I don't work in hospitals anymore. Um, although a lot of my colleagues, a lot of, you know, my, my, my associates and things that do still work within the NHS. So I, I'm kind of kept up to date with what's, what, what's what, but I work independently. So I, um, have a, a caseload of clients that I go and visit in their own homes and I provide antenatal and postnatal care. I don't do births at the moment. Um, there's a lot of red tape around that um, but I just do like antenatal care and postnatal care for people which is which is nice because it means that they can get um, a lot more kind of continuity you know from one from one person yeah so yes that that's what I do and then obviously there's the whole social media thing and you know I, I put out a lot of uh, information and things like that on my Instagram page um, yeah just trying to help get people through on topics such as breastfeeding and um, having that, you know, preparing yourself for birth, looking after your baby, um, whatever, you know, you, you name it, I'll, I'll write about it. <laughs> and you've done it as well. So you're a mother yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I've got five children. Um, my eldest is, he's nearly 21. He'll be 21 next month. 
and then my youngest is two so yeah I'm done now though no more kids for you (laughs) (laughs) I've had my fair share (laughs) Okay, well, I feel really privileged to be able to be speaking to you on behalf of thyself today. Um, So why did you become a midwife? Because I think because when I had my first child, I was so young and um, I just I kind of just looked in awe at the midwife that was looking after me when I was in labour. And I I thought to myself, I really want to do this. You know, I really want to kind of help to empower women to have uh, a really good you know well the best possible birth experience not just the birth but you know pregnancy and um and afterwards as well and it kind of just took over you know it just kind of took over and I just found myself just gravitating towards it and yeah and then a few years later I was a midwife <laughs> and that was and that was that but yeah I was definitely inspired after having my own having my own child definitely that's beautiful I think that's really nice I think experiences like that that obviously change your life um mm. Yeah, I wouldn't, I, I have no idea. So I wouldn't say they're few and far between, but I think for you to have that experience and to move in that direction afterwards is like pretty profound, isn't it? it it's crazy because like some people will, um, you know, become a midwife before they've had children. And then other, and then obviously when they do have kids themselves, it's a bit of an enlightening moment. And then other people like me will have children first, then become a midwife. So you know, we all kind of bring different different experiences into it, which is uh, which is great. Amazing. And how has twenty twenty one been so far for you? One as a mother, and two mm-hmm. as a midwife. Oh wow! <laughs> it's been an interesting year. It's been an interesting year for everybody, and uh, I think it's been for me. It's been it's been bittersweet, really, because um, I've had. So obviously as a mother, you know, I it's, it's been difficult because I've had my kids at home a lot, um, which can be, it can be stressful, you know, um, for, for me and for the children as well, because they're bored and they want things to do. Um, and I'm not a teacher, you know, I can only do so much. So that's been really, really, really challenging. Wasn't it challenging last year because it was nice and sunny. So we got a big back garden, we could sit outside, put the barbecue on, you know, my partner, he would... Um, he makes his own uh, jerk seasoning and put chicken on the barbecue and it was just nice with all the kids running outside in the pool and everything um and then winter hits you know and winter hits and you can't do anything literally you know it's really really difficult so then so that was kind of a bit of a downer but then on the other side um things have been really really positive like like career-wise for me you know I've got a book deal um I've been able to start working yeah start working independently so I'm actually um enjoying what I do a lot more now than when I worked at the NHS so um I feel like I'm able to give more to my clients and um doing all my online stuff as well so yeah it's kind of it's it's, it's a strange it's a kind of a strange balance but I'm just hoping that now you know we're in 2021 and we're gonna kind of navigate our way out of this pandemic I keep saying fingers crossed it's gonna hope it happens soon and uh yeah and then things will just keep keep rising up really and I guess pregnancy um you've touched base on motherhood but I guess as a midwife and for someone like me who has no idea what pregnancy looks like let alone what pregnancy during a pandemic looks like you know what kind of experiences have you heard of experienced yourself as a midwife um 
And what does it really look and feel like now? I'm sure the landscape has changed. Yeah, it's, uh, do you know what? I, I think to myself, um, I really feel for people who, who, who have given birth during this pandemic because I would have found it really difficult, you know. Um, I mean, I know there's lots of support out there. The NHS are, are working as hard as they can. The NHS midwives are working as hard as they can to look after people and it's challenging for, ev for everybody, you know. Um, especially things like um, partners not being allowed to go to appointments and my brother for example he he they recently had a baby last October and he wasn't allowed to go to any of the ultrasounds um just little things like that you know which which is which is quite which is it's quite sad really um and quite quite difficult for, for new and expectant parents um Lansino did a, a a survey last year on how new mums were kind of feeling after they've had you know, their baby and um their report came back and said saying that you know 70 percent of of these mums had increased anxiety 60 percent felt really really lonely um and it, it affected things like um the, the 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 breastfeeding uptake for example because in the community we usually have like breastfeeding clinics you know so um if you've got any problems after you've had your baby you can you can walk into one of these clinics or make an appointment to go in and see somebody and have them sit there with you and help you and show you how to feed your baby but the pandemic means that you can't have that anymore. So everything is virtual support or telephone support, um, whether it's whether it's breastfeeding advice, whether it's um, midwifery advice. Um, appointments were were being um, what's the word? Kind of like streamlined. So uh, during your during your pregnancy, you have I think it's around it's around ten like ten to twelve appointments usually, and what was happening was that only the, the ones that were absolutely essential were being done face to face the ones that could just be done on the phone were and that increased you know that increased anxiety that increased loneliness for some people and I personally like on my Instagram for example before the pandemic hit I was getting around 30 messages a week like dms a week and you know I tried to answer a lot of the questions that I would get you know a lot, most of it was obviously was in my free time and then we went into this pandemic and I was getting like 300 messages a week and I still am and it got to the point where I had to say, you know, I just, I can't, I can't offer personalised advice. Otherwise I'd be sitting on, on my phone all day long. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not possible. Although I'd like to give um, as much advice as I could, as I could, but I can't. So what I then do is signpost people to different organisations. So um, for example, Pandas UK, so they're, they're a, like a, a perinatal um, mental health organisation. Um, Channel Mum have got a great, um, kind of network of uh, uh experts and professionals that can that can help as well um tommy's do have, have got a, a, a great um team of midwives that, that can help give advice virtually over the phone so just kind of signposting people to these different organizations to to help to help get them through because it has become it really has become quite tough for for a lot of women and and their partners as well you know we can't kind of we can't forget about the partners you know it's uh can't be easy for them either of course, it's really difficult for literally everyone involved at the moment. Yeah. Um, I guess I wanted to find out a little bit more because I know you mentioned there's a lot of red tape around birth and I'm guessing that affects the kind of work that you do usually um, outside of the pandemic or I guess within the pandemic as well. So what kind of red tape, if you are able to go into that, what kind of red tape is there? Well, I, well, I was actually just referring to being an independent midwife. So... Um, yeah. So being an independent midwife is different to being an NHS midwife. So when you work independently, 
you have to have your own insurance in place to be able to facilitate a home birth, which was fine up until last June when they decided that um, uh, there was going to be no more insurance for independent midwives. And um, the only insurance you could get was like nearly £8,000 per birth, you know, and nobody was going to pay for that. So ultimately, uh, it meant that a lot of um, independent midwives couldn't work unless you're employed by an NHS trust. Say, for example, I'm employed by my local trust and one of my private clients is giving birth at that hospital. Then, of course, I can go and help her have her baby because I, I'm employed by them and I'm therefore insured by them. So, yes, yeah, so that's what I was referring to with, 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 with that red tape. But there are also um, some issues with uh, certain um, birth, not birth, yeah, birth centres and hospitals as well, where birth partners, I think now the general consensus is that, that women should be able to have a partner with them throughout the whole the whole journey but not every hospital is, is facilitating that at the moment you know I'm still hearing cases of um, women who've gone in to be induced so the um the labor process has been started off um artificially which for some people can you know it just takes a few hours to get things going other people it can take several days and the partner isn't allowed to come in until she's in proper labor so if you've got a situation where a mum is um, being induced. She's been given her the drugs to get her going, but it's taking a while and she's, you know, she's niggling. She's having the odd kind of contraction here and there, but it's not really strong enough to put her into full labour. She's got to do all of that on her own, you know, until she's told, right, well, now you're in established labour. Now we can get your partner in, which is just, it's just, it just seems so, so unfair. And obviously I know that um, we're in a pandemic and, you know, trying to keep the, um, the death rate down is, is an absolute priority, but it just, yeah, it just it's coming with a lot of lot of sacrifice, you know, um, and and also it's, it's a bit like a postcode lottery because not all hospitals and birth centres are doing the same throughout the UK. Some of them are like, yeah, you can be partner from the beginning. Other ones are like, no, you can't. Some are saying, well, you know, your partner's got to go home after an hour. Other ones are like, no, that's fine. Your partner can stay with you the whole time. So there's just this kind of irregularity throughout throughout, you know, um, or disparity rather. And um, yeah, it's just. I just can't imagine what it must be like to be to be pregnant at the moment, <laughs> you know. Yes, especially last year. I think last year was was definitely a lot worse. Hopefully this year things will be a lot better. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, for myself, obviously, and everyone yeah. else is going through it. Um, mm. I've heard that there are a lot of disparities. Obviously, working within the wellness industry as a whole, which covers, I know, part health, part medical, um, I'm aware that there is a diversity and inclusivity issue, um, mm. as well as there just being national, and you know, if even if we want to talk about international, but health disparities, what kind of disparities are you aware of when it comes to pregnancies? And motherhood. Uh, well, um, one of the biggest things that I, I talk about a lot, and I'm actually I'm actually filming for a documentary about it tomorrow, which you've probably already heard of. Um, I'm going to be yeah for, for a Channel Four documentary, um, which is coming out in March. I'm not sure when you're releasing the podcast, but um, we'll be promoting. Probably, don't you worry. <laughs> you'll, you'll, probably, you'll probably watch it. Um, yeah. So we know that in the UK, um, black women are four to five times more likely to die during pregnancy during birth and postnatally than, um, than white women. Um, and you know, this documentary will kind of ex explore that and it'll go into a lot more, a lot more detail. Um, we know that mixed race women are three times more likely to die. Um, we know that South Asian women are, are twice as likely to die. 
So we need to, a lot of work is being done at the moment to investigate what is going on, you know, and several things have been identified as being, as being a problem. Um, you know, I'm working with a great team of midwives and other health professionals to, to kind of raise more awareness and decolonize the curriculum as it were, you know, because uh, a lot of a lot of what I was taught at, at, at university when it came to um, looking after mums and newborns, like for example, all my children, all, and even me myself when I was born, uh, had a what we now call blue gray spots. Um, and I knew what they were because I was told by my mum that I had one when I was a baby. It's just like a, it's like a bruise. It looks like a bruise on the skin, usually on the bum or on the leg. And children who have got black or brown skin will, will tend to have these, these spots. Now we weren't, we didn't, we didn't learn about them at all in um, uh, university. So it's just simple things like that, because what then tends to happen is if you don't learn about that as a health professional, when you do see it, you might think, well, that's a bruise. You know, is this child being, is this child being, you know, <laughs> a bruise, abused? Um, things like that, learning to identify jaundice in babies with darker skin, um, mastitis on women with dark, darker skin. So there's a lot of health inequalities um, for, for people who, who are non-white. And yeah, we, we're, we're kind of, trying to do as much as we can to investigate why so that when the next report comes comes out I mean last so the, the last report was like black women are five times more than the most recent one come out and it's like well, black women are now 4.35 times more and it's like well, that's still not good enough <laughs> you know yeah that's still not good enough I mean come on 4.35 um but what I want to see is uh just an equal playing field do you know what I mean so yeah it's a it's an ongoing issue and there's there's, there's lots to learn and lots to unravel and, uh, and do you believe it starts with education? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because there's there's a lot of talk about systemic racism within um, within the medical world. And we know that we know that, you know, we know who who wrote the medical books, who wrote the textbooks. We know that um, even though we so don't give enough claim to the person that basically invented medical history, as we know it, which was a a black individual <laughs> way way back listen, listen we can we can talk about i mean we can talk about midwifery i mean you think about like the the old school midwives in the united states for example they were all old black women you know they were that's that's what midwives were and then um they kind of got shunned to one side um by white doctors um you know banders like, like classes like witches you know um but they were the original they were the original midwives um, that would help women have uh, normal physiological birth. Um, before, I mean, I could go on all day about this, but, <laughs> but yeah, a lot, a lot has got to be done. A lot has got to be done to kind of look into it, in, into what, what's going on, what we can do. And one of the main things that I like to focus on, like on, on my Instagram, I have a lot of student midwives that follow me. And I think it starts with them. So the medical students, the, the student doctors, the student midwives. If we can, because there's a lot of older people who are so set in their ways, you can't change you can't change how they think it's just like you know whatever just put them to one side <laughs> um but it's the younger generation it's the younger ones that are coming up they're the ones that we need to focus on um more more so um so that when they go out into the field to practice they've got more of an open mind and they're more educated on um picking up 
issues with people of all different um, ethnicities and cultures. Um, yeah, regardless, you know, so yeah. that everyone gets treated um, equally. That was one of the first tips that I was given um, when I found out that I was pregnant. Um, this podcast might come as a shock to a lot of people, me revealing that I'm pregnant because I've been holding it down for such a long time. Um, <laughs> when, when's your baby due then? So as of this podcast coming out, I should be just over five weeks, five okay. weeks, five months, sorry, five months. Okay. That's how, that's how uh, wow. prepared I am. I can say five <laughs> weeks, it really is five months. <laughs> um, it's my first, so it's just a crazy time, but um, as well as everything else. But I think, you know, one of the best pieces of advice so far that I can say that I've got um, is to go to, or to research the hospital that I wanted to go to, which mm -hmm. I did initially. Um, my GP advised me to pick a hospital. Um, there was my local hospital. I live in Hackney, so it was Homerton. Mm -hmm. um, I watched my sister-in-law give birth there. I've watched friends give birth there. And they've all had mixed reviews. Um, so I wanted to do a, a big, uh, a deeper dive, should I say. Um, and someone told me that I should probably go to a university college hospital just because of the student help there. So it's really funny that you say that. Um, so yeah. I've actually chosen um, UCLH. Um, just the facilities I've seen were better. Um, the reports were better um it's by no means like down the road um so I don't know how I'm gonna do this but <laughs> <laughs> you'll do it don't worry but you know did you know what I think um I think it's difficult you know we can we can kind of research hospitals and this that kind of thing it all depends on who's on shift you yeah. know and who you're gonna get and um and for that reason I I always say to people do your own research as well on not just on the hospital that you're giving birth in, but on, on birth as, as a whole, you know, um, know what your rights are, know that you have to consent to everything, know that you have choices, understand that you've got informed choice. Um, and um, yeah, because when you are, when you have that knowledge, then you, then you're empowered, aren't you? Then you're yeah. empowered to kind of stand up and, and advocate for yourself, write yourself a birth plan. Um, you know, even when it comes to like breastfeeding, for example, how, if, if you're going to breastfeed your baby, have that, um, be thinking about it while she's pregnant. So one of the one of the complaints that a lot of people have is that afterwards, they don't have enough support, it didn't work for them, you know, they couldn't get the baby to latch on or whatever. But if you ask your midwife first while she's pregnant, what help is there available afterwards? What's the postnatal care like? What support is available afterwards? Who do I contact if I've got a problem, you know, with my baby or with me? Where do I go? So that, when you baby, there. Yeah, so, that, yeah. so that when you have your baby, you're not kind of thinking, oh, who do I ask? Where, you know, where do I go? You've got it all there. You're organized. Because if you are, if it's your first baby, if you're an organized person prior to having a baby, you're not going to be afterwards, you know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Listen, trust me, all, I'm, I'm the most disorganized person ever. I'm terrible. I'm all over the place. But literally, kids could just throw, throw you off. This morning, I went to do an Instagram live um, with a, um, a lovely lady, and we were talking about um, breastfeeding. And the, my plan was that my little girl was going to go to sleep at um, about quarter to twelve, and 
I was going to send my son into another room with a tablet so he can sit and watch something on TV. That didn't happen. I ended up doing the IGTV, the, the, IGTV, the Instagram live with her in my car. I, had, I was driving my kids around. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm in lockdown. Am I allowed to do this? I like exercise, but, you know, I'm exercising my hands. Like, driving around, trying to get the, one of them to sleep. And then I pulled up in a park. Right? <laughs> and my little girl was asleep finally. So then I got on the phone. I was like, this is not how the, the, the IG Live is supposed to be. But hey, this is kids' toy. This is what happens, you know. So, yeah, so plan everything whilst you're still pregnant as much as you can because afterwards it's going to be really, really difficult to, you know, you're going to be tired. Um, you're going to have a baby crying and the baby leads everything. You know, the baby kind of leads your life for quite a long time. And it's very, very difficult to kind of make appointments and plan things when you've got a child, unless you've got that immense support. Which, again, is another thing that people have been... Um, struggling with during the pandemic because you know we've been in lockdown you're not allowed to see your, your family um you know not, not allowed to go into each other's households so when you've had a new baby it's nice to have that bit of peace and quiet afterwards so you can kind of adjust the motherhood yourself with your baby and do that bonding and skin to skin but at the same time when you've got a family you know you've got your mum your auntie your sister who are offering to help you and they and they physically can't it's really difficult so so you know, so one of the things that we, well, I say we, me, me and Lance suggest is, is to, um, for, for family and friends and, um, you know, associates to provide support in other ways, such as just virtual support, even if it's just doing a video call, just checking in once a week um, or twice a week, how are you? Not overdoing it though, because that's another thing. Sometimes people overdo it. And when you are, when you just had a baby, sometimes all you want is just a bit of, a bit of peace and a bit of me time. You know, without your phone keep ringing um but yeah it's 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 critical to have that support after you've had your baby you know um so yeah do it do, do all your planning beforehand definitely amazing and obviously how <laughs> i uh got in touch with you was through lansano mm -hmm. yeah yes. um can you tell me more about the brand so i've definitely heard about the brand um but for all those that are listening that don't um can you tell us a little bit more yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, like I said to you earlier, I, I, I started working with Lansino just over a year ago. Um, and Lansino, basically, they have been around for many, 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 many years. And they are a company that provides um, uh, a lot of breastfeeding products. So, things like um, nipple cream um, to help moisturize your nipples because they, they can get a little bit sore sometimes when you're breastfeeding. I heard it's one of the best. It's the one with the pink packaging, isn't it? It's, yeah, like a, like a lilac, like a, yeah, like a lilac purple package packaging. Yeah. Um, and it's lanolin based. They, they've got a few different products um, and they, they provide breast pumps as well for people who are, you know, going back to work or whatever. Um, they do quite a lot of, a, a lot of different products. Products that I, I was actually using before I even started working with them. So um, the last couple of babies that I've had, um, I've used their use their products. So yes, yeah, so that's why obviously when I when I was asked to work with them, there wasn't any um there wasn't any question that that's what I was going to do because it's a it's a company that I would that I that I support. And um I'm regularly on their Instagram channel doing um doing IG lives as well. Just to it's not all about you know the brand, you know, it's 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 about providing support as well, you know, to people, especially, especially in this in these uncertain times and I keep hearing people saying you know <laughs> yeah, no one really knows how to describe it <laughs> yeah it's just oh gosh it's, it's a nightmare isn't it yeah so um so basically that's what they do yeah 
Yeah, but you can um, have a look at their website, lampsnow.com, to check out what they've got available. Um, but I would recommend that in your hospital bag, to have some nipple cream there, just in case. There's one that you can actually use, which is like an organic nipple balm. You can use it before you um, have your baby to help get yourself prepared for breastfeeding. Um, breastfeeding shouldn't hurt. Um, it usually, if it does hurt, it's usually because there's a problem, like the baby's got a tongue tie or the latch wasn't perfect in the beginning and it's caused um, the nipples to be damaged, even if later on down the line, your, um, your latch is then improved. So, um, for that, I'd always say just take some nipple cream with you just in case. Oh my God, every time someone talks to me about this, like I feel like my body just like shivers. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to um, breastfeed, but yeah, there are so many conversations around it. There's mm. so much guilt around it, whether you don't or whether you do. Mm. And, um, mm. All of this mum shaming kind of thing. And mm. I'm like, wow, it's it's a world I'm gonna, I'm going to have to be involved in, um, but it's, it's, it's ultimately, ultimately it's, it's someone's choice, you know, and the way I see it is, yes, you know, um, there are a lot of benefits to breastfeeding for both the mum and for the baby as well, and we, and we all know that, but there are times when breastfeeding is, is difficult, you know, um, and it can be, and it can be a, um, a strain, although sometimes there's people who just don't want to do it, but from a midwife's point of view from my point of view as long as I have got information across to somebody as somebody as long as somebody knows what the benefits are um and you know um still decides they don't want to do it that's absolutely fine that's their choice you know if someone's struggling with breastfeeding and it's affecting their mental health and the best thing for them and their family and their you know for them and their family is to to stop you know to, to sort of kind of decrease the stress levels then it's absolutely fine you know but as a midwife as a health professional I need to um promote I say promote yeah I guess promote it um without shaming people do you know what I mean and without shaming people's choices you know I've given my children formula at times you know there's there's, there's nothing um there's nothing that, that you should feel guilty about you know um but it's something that you will you will experience you know you will experience but you you will do what's best for you ultimately um, and I guess also like what are your I know you mentioned rights and I really want to touch base on that because I think you're mm. one of the most perfect people to speak to some of the other people we're speaking to are mothers managing their kind of careers um, but as a midwife I think it's really important to hear from a professional like what kind of things should people know as like their rights like maybe like top two or three like what what kind of birthing, pregnancy, motherhood rights, should people know going into mm. this phase? Yeah. Um, sorry, you can probably hear my little one screaming in the background. I think she's had enough now. <laughs> um, yeah, so there is actually an organisation called birthright.org and they have got so much information on their website, um, which tells you all your rights. Are. So like you've got the right to basically give birth where you want, you know, whether it's in a hospital or a birth centre or at home. There are some times when you it might not be recommended for you to have a home birth or a birth centre birth if you're high risk or whatever, and that's something you'd have to, to do, discuss with your doctor or midwife. Um, you've got the you, you've got the right to um, refuse treatment if you want to, uh, like induction of labour, for example. If you don't want to have an induction, you don't have to. Um, you have got the right to um, have quality care, and that kind of looks out looks out for your dignity. 
and um, and it's safe as well. There's so many rights that you have. And when somebody comes at you with, um, well, we are going to recommend that we do this. That doesn't mean we are going to do this. What it means is we think that this is um, the best course of action for you because of the situation, because you've got this condition or that condition. Um, and then that's for you as a, as an expectant mum to come back and say, okay, so what are the risks of this? What are the benefits of this? Is there any alternatives? Um, can you show me some stats, please? You know, can I go and do a bit of research and come back to you on that one? You know, you can ask questions. You don't have to kind of sit there and nod your head and say, okay, yes, let's do it. You know, um, unless you want to, of course, if you want to, that's fine. Um, but don't, if something doesn't feel right to you, if you're kind of under the impression that you're being told to do something that doesn't quite sit, sit right with you, ask questions. doesn't mean you have to say no, but just, you know, ask what your options are. Ask, you know, is, is, this, is this course of action beneficial? How's this going to benefit me and my pregnancy or, or my birth or whatever? Um, I'm always going on about asking questions because that way then you get clarity and then you can make um, an informed decision and then you can give informed consent as well. Nobody could do a procedure on you without asking, is this okay if we do this? You know, so don't think that people are allowed to go ahead and just do whatever they like without even asking, asking you. You know, you're, you're more than entitled to an explanation um, and you have to give consent before there are any, um, any treatments or anything performed on you. But yeah, birthrights.org is, um, is a great resource to have, definitely. You should, you should check it out. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, I will. I might have come across it, but um, I was a little bit overwhelmed at first with information. And I mm. think as now as the time's going on and it is becoming more real, um, mm. I'm having a little bit more, I'm creating more space and time to have those kind of like sessions of like research or just looking into mm. things. There are a few apps. I do find them a little bit overwhelming, like peanut and stuff, um, because there's a lot of people that, have maybe like surpassed you in terms of like their journey um mm. and I'm just like okay too much information basically yeah. but um yeah if I can read something if I could download information also the documentary that you mentioned can't wait for it to come out um mm. I know that there's been a lot of like controversy uh -huh. about <laughs> it um and you know, I, I don't know enough and I wouldn't even dare to speak on the subject because I haven't been paying attention, I just heard. But I think yeah. in terms of raising awareness, which is the ultimate goal, that then hopefully- Yeah, I mean, that, you, know? you know, obviously I'm, I, I'm not gonna go into detail about that, about the yeah. but um, the, the issue at hand is what we need to focus on. We need to focus on um, what it's gonna be about and what it's going to do and what we are trying to investigate, you know, that is, that is ultimately um, what everyone needs to be paying, uh, you know, paying attention to. Um, yeah. So, and I and I hope that it's going to be, it's going to bring to light a few things. It's going to put some women's voices out there because there's quite a few mums that are going to be interviewed as part of this process, which is fantastic because we've got a lot of voices that are going to be heard um, finally. So yeah, it's going to be, um, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good yeah. documentary. I agree. And what about, I guess, you know, what can people like myself, like ordinary pregnant women or women going into pregnancy or mothers, you know, what can ordinary people do about, you know, these concerns, the disparities? What can we do, do you think? There are, there's, a, there's an organisation um, called Five Times More, I don't know if you've heard of it, and uh, a couple of girls behind it, lovely girls, um, Chloe and Tina Kay. Um, they've actually on their page they've got these um, 
I don't know what they call it. I think it's five steps or something. Um, just things that you can do, things that you can take control of. You know, so a few of the things I've already spoken about before. So like asking questions, you know, um, don't feel that you have to say yes, okay. You know, ask, ask questions, um, ask for evidence, ask to be signposted to the, you know, uh, to the right resource. Um, if you are, if you feel like you're being dismissed, you know, don't feel that you have to go home and just go home, just sit on it, you know. Um, insist, insist that you speak to somebody else. And you and you can do that with that, because I think some people worry about, oh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to cause a scene, I don't want to cause drama, um, I don't want to come across being rude. You can do this without being rude. No one's saying you've got to be rude, you know. Um, and I guess if you are approached with that, because that's a problem with systematic racism as well, is that there are other routes to go down. Because I know that there's one thing feeling like that, there's another thing actually mm. being you know labeled like that um exactly. and i've had that myself on plenty of occasions exactly. um by being assertive it's yes. seen as being yeah. aggressive or can be exactly yeah. and that's what a lot of people worry about as well which is something that that's not to be put in the hands of the the person that you know the person giving birth that is for the healthcare professional to to take charge of their own you know look at their own biases within themselves do you know what i mean there's nothing that you know you as a woman could do about that um but yeah, like I said, understand that you've got informed choice. Get educated, whether, whether that is to do a birthing course, an antenatal course or something, so you understand so you understand what the procedure is because the amount of people who go into labour and haven't got a clue, you know, or they're told they're going to be induced, but they don't know what it means. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what the steps are. You know, when you, you talk about breaking waters or giving them a prostaglandin pessary, they're like, what? What's that? You know, but I'm like, yeah, but you've already agreed to be induced three weeks ago. And I think part of it is probably the health professional not explaining it properly and probably just dismissing them. And if that does happen, then, you know, take it on, take it, kind of own that and be like, okay, well, you're going to explain to me, you're going to break it. Is there any leaflets you can give me about this? You know, what, what's the process? Um, but if you find a good birthing course, you can learn as, you know, you can learn everything about labour and birth as well. So, yeah, so like I said, understanding your rights, doing a birthing course, um, knowing that you can um, ask questions, get someone else on board, get someone who is either your birth partner or someone close, like a friend or a sister um, or your mum, who knows what your birth plan is, who can act as um, almost like an advocate for you at times, you know, because there might be times when you might be on the phone trying to talk to somebody, trying to get your point across and you just can't because you're so kind of, you know, head up or whatever. And then you just pass the phone to somebody else. And because they know, what your wishes and your wants are they can help you and they can support you and act as your advocate you know but if you anybody who, who wants to have a little look at um five times more they've got they've got these steps that you can take to um yeah to advocate for yourself really useful hi guys so my name's colleen mentor um friday i am a lawyer um and i also run um an instagram account called dear black mum so, oh, should I also say that I'm a mother as well, guys? This is new to me. This is very, very new. But I've been a mother for like three months now. And um, in some ways, it's quite funny because it feels like I've been a mother for ages. But then times like this, I forget to say, guys, I've got a new role. I'm a mum. So, yeah, I gave birth um, to my son, Zion, in November of last year. Amazing. How did you come up with his name? So, actually... <laughs> quite a funny one um Zion is a name that 
I have always, always loved. So um, I was brought up Catholic. Um, I remember reading the story um, which involved Mount Zion, but when I met his dad, um, one of the first things that he had said to me is that he was planning to go to Mount Zion. Right, yeah, this is like in, in 2016. And I remember being like, do you like the name Zion? He was like, yeah, I've always wanted to name my son Zion. I was like, no way, me too. So um, that was like good four, four years ago now. Um, and then there was a time when I was going through like just like a stressful period at work, like a really stressful period at work. And um, he's, a, he's a musician, so he wrote a song. And in the lyrics, he wrote um, a song about kind of like just looking into your heart and like looking into to Mount Zion, which is the promised land, obviously, in your heart. Um, and it was a song that he wrote for me. So when I found out I was pregnant and I thought I was having a girl, right? But we won't talk about that. Found out I was having a boy. Um, we were like, oh gosh, what name should we think of? And then we were like, Zion. So we didn't even really consider any other names. We just always knew that that would be the name. You just knew. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't wait for him to know this story. <laughs> um, so yeah, how has, you know, being pregnant during a pandemic and obviously moving into the next stages of motherhood, how has that felt and how has that been, especially pandemic focused? Okay, so... Being pregnant in the pandemic has been quite a strange one because it was my first time being pregnant. So I don't know any different. However, what I can say is that through speaking to um, other people who have done it before, what has been clear to me is that um, it's been quite lonely at times because you're not able to access resources and when I say resources I mean physical resources um, in the same ways that you normally would so for instance I went through the NHS so I use the NHS right but I know that you're meant to have a certain number of appointments when I was pregnant um, it's quite difficult because I only had like three or four in the beginning and I knew that I was meant to have at least eight or nine. So I was like, whoa, am I missing out on like loads of things? What am I, like, who am I supposed to speak to about these sort of things? What am I supposed to do? It's also quite difficult because um, Daniel, who's my partner, wasn't allowed to come to the first two scans with me, um, which I thought were quite important scans that he should have been there for. So I thought it was difficult from that sense. It was also very difficult because um, I couldn't really, you know, see my friends or even things like, okay, going out to buy clothes for the baby. Of course, all the shopping centers are shut and things like that. So it's quite difficult in that sense. Antenatal classes I couldn't do. However, what I will say is that there were um, pros to it as well. And the pros to me is that I could work from home. I wasn't traveling into work. Um, I was able to kind of just get things ready at my own pace at home. Um, and I was also able to pull together a community, which is Dear Black Mum. Um, and that's the reason why I did it, because obviously I was thinking, gosh, 
it's that they say that it takes a village to raise a child and I'm thinking that I can't even go outside so what village is helping me right now um so yeah I decided to create that and I think you know like whilst there's been many cons I think there's been quite a few pros as well but yeah it's it all balances out doesn't it amazing um I want to know more like a little bit from your point of view about Dear Black Mum. I've spoken to um, this group called the Mum Club, um, which is quite varied. Mm. Um, I've spoken to a midwife who is actually a black female midwife. Mm. However, I think you were speaking to, you know, on an everyday Instagram, social media, modern day level to women black women specifically who are going through pregnancy or motherhood during this time you're getting amazing tips but you're also getting it from a cultural standpoint which is not something I see very often um like so for me personally like there's something that I've always associated with babies and there's a certain smell and that is because as like being Caribbean specifically there's a there's a like a an oil that they put on babies which I was always like what is that I thought it was I don't know what I thought it was, mm. but it's actually lavender nice. and rosemary oil. Nice. And that comes straight from like literally the Caribbean. So I'm thinking, yeah. how the hell am I going to get my hands on this now? <laughs> um, I'm working on it with my auntie, but what other kind of cultural things have people picked up or messaged in? Because I see like some amazing polls and amazing questions that come through. Yeah, yeah so like you rightly said, Dear Black Mum is basically a community of black mums and mums-to-be mm-hmm. um, all over the world, right? Um, and it's got three main tenets to it and that's to empower, educate and experience, right? So obviously wanted to share my experience, um, but I definitely knew that in the black community, there is often a lack of education. Right. And that is so important, especially um, being a black mum in the UK. Right. So with that comes all of the the tips and the and the kind of like other people's advice that that you've seen online. And I think it's amazing because. Like you said, there's certain things that. As a black woman, as a black mother, I can only relate to someone else who is a black woman or a black mother. Right. So, for instance, let's talk about, um, I don't know, what we use on baby skin. Right. When I was at the hospital, you know, they give me all of these like, I don't know, like Aveeno and Dove and things like that. Right. And I started to notice that it dried out Zion's skin. So. As you've probably seen, whenever I've got a question, I throw it up there and I ask people, I'm like, yo, what are you guys using? Because I'm struggling here. <laughs> I'm struggling. Um, and um, there came to, like so many different responses. But one of the things that kept coming through was shea butter, raw shea butter. And I was like, wait, I use it on my hair every day. Sometimes I use it on my skin. Why am I not using it on Zion? Had no issues with his skin since then. No issues at all. Other things like how often should I bathe the baby? Because I was thinking, all right, let me do it every day. When I was at the hospital, the midwives were like, you don't really need to bath the baby until they reach four weeks. And then even then, um, that because they don't sweat, I would just do it as and when you feel like. So 
I've not bath Zion morning and night. Doesn't dry out his skin. I use shea butter. Absolutely fine. When I was asking people on Dear Black Mum, it's not just black mothers that follow me. There's white mothers that follow me as well. But it was actually quite interesting because the ones that were saying every day seemed to be the black people. The ones that were saying every other day or, you know, every week or whatever it was, were white people. So I guess like those cultural differences are quite interesting, quite interesting. And there's also other things as well. So for instance, when um, Zion was born, my auntie came around. Now I'm half Nigerian, half Ghanaian. There are some wild things that they do. Like, it's like you know, when even I am like, oh my goodness, thank God you did not do this in the hospital because boy, I do not know what those midwives have been thinking. But like my auntie came around and she she bathed Zion, but she did it in this cultural way where she was like pulling his limbs, whispering in his ear to the point where I had to be like, no, you need to just kind of just take it a bit easy. But when I was telling people about that on Dear Black Mom, they were like, I can relate. My auntie did that too. That's normal. What are you talking about? Did they give, did they dangle his legs upside down? I'm like, what are you talking about? Dangle his legs upside down. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it's just things like that, but it's just things, you know, whereby I can go to that community and hopefully other people can go on that page and be like, oh, okay, this is normal. This is what to expect, you know? <laughs> and I think what's really nice about that is that not everyone has, um, the support network and when I say that I guess specifically black women yeah. there are many black women that don't necessarily come from black households yeah. um that's something that we overlook quite a lot especially yeah. here in the UK um so I think that that's really really important and I think sharing that is just fantastic I, I love your page obviously you're taking screenshots you so um the heaters I really want the brown ones yeah yeah the booby the booby ones Oh, you were the one that I put up the other day. Someone yeah. sent that to me. Yeah. And I was like, what? These exist. <laughs> Listen, I took a screenshot. I like, made my list. That is so funny. Do you know what? I should actually, I think I've got a highlight there, like a teething highlight. So I need to add that to the highlight. Yeah, because also even things like, you know, that I'm learning now, like I thought babies teethed when they got to like two, but they can... They can teeth from early. That's it. That's it. Some babies are born with teeth. Aye. We exactly. Some babies are born with teeth. And Zion started teething about seven weeks. And I remember putting the, the question up, asking for solutions. People were like, what already? To the point where I was second guessing myself. And I was like, no, he's teething. And now I can see like the little like white teeth trying to break through. Yeah. And he's just gone three months. You know what? I absolutely love it and I'll be very honest with you I think when I found out that I was having a boy first of all it threw me out of my comfort zone because I've got a brother he's the youngest of five and then I've got sisters all the rest of my sisters and we're close in age we're like one year apart so I was like oh my gosh this is a lot of responsibility a lot of responsibility we live in a society which is dominated by men um, but then equally, we live in a society where black men are targeted a lot just based on, you know, the systems and the structures that are in place. So I didn't take it lightly at all, but it really did throw me out of my comfort zone. But now I feel like 
it's such an honor, it's such a privilege, and it's something that I feel like I am so lucky to do in my lifetime. So yeah, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. But do you know what? You get to learn your baby. Yeah. You definitely get to learn them. And, you know, some females are born having their periods already. And then it stops. Oh. Yeah, they're uterus. Yeah. These are things that you don't, you don't, no one tells you, right? And then that's there. So whilst your hormones are balancing, their hormones are balancing out as well. It's nuts. It's nuts. Oh my God. Okay. Um, next question. Did you assess your rights as a pregnant woman when you was going through your journey? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I did. Um, and like I said, with Dear Black Mom, one of the tenets of it is education. And that's the part that I actually think is the most important. You know, the rest is all fun, sharing your experiences and stuff, but behind it, there is, there is a real need to um, educate yourselves and then share that education with others so yes I did um it was something that I was very aware of in the beginning that you know um black women have a history of not being treated well when it comes to childbirth so I always say you know I feel like I'm extremely extremely blessed to have had an amazing pregnancy but even more blessed to have given birth and still be alive at the end of it because we take it for granted so much. Um, a few years ago, it was, I think there was a stat going around that um, women, black women were five times more likely than their white counterparts to um, die from childbirth in the UK. Now it's gone down to four times more likely, still four times too many in my opinion. Um, but like I said, it was something that I was very aware of early on. There's something called the, the Mabrace, report then if you've heard of that embrace report i've seen it yeah have a look at that because that comes with like just a whole load of like knowledge and education about like black women um who are you know going through pregnancy and labor in the uk but to answer your question yes i did i was very aware of my rights to the point where i have a book that i carry around with me um and i record every single appointment that I went to, what was said, I've always got questions. I still take that even to his vaccinations. I still do that because um, I think that we have to be our own advocates, especially during the pandemic. We have to be our own advocates and it's we, we, we often get overlooked. Then the more I speak to people as well, like I had a conversation with members of my family, like my cousin, she's, my big cousin she even said that you know when she went in to have her daughter there was all of these complications and she felt like something wasn't wrong wasn't right and she spoke to the midwife and they were like no it's absolutely fine next minute she was rushed into um what do you mean call it for a cesarean so she was saying that she thought her waters had broke like literally a couple of days before and they were just like no it's fine Wow. Realistically, when she said that to me, it kind of scared me a little bit, but she was like, yeah, so basically my baby was unprotected for a certain amount of time. And then you can get infections from that and all sorts. Yeah. And there's also illnesses that can affect black people more. Even, you know, the other day I put up something about jaundice, which it, statistically it doesn't affect black people more, but it's hard That's to because, talk. Yes, I read that and I was like, screenshot again question time it's just it's, it's crazy and then there's obviously like um 
so many pregnancy complications that disproportionately affect black women. And we've got to think of why, because when I went into the research about it, you see that a lot of these things are easy to kind of um, control so long as it's spotted. But you need to look for the signs, right? And you need to know what those signs are. So I do think it's very, very important that we educate ourselves on these things. It was something that I was totally aware of, totally aware of when I was going into it. And I thought, I'm not going to, to kind of leave this in the hands of someone else. I'm gonna be my own advocate. And it is scary, but I went through it. I went through labor. I had the most perfect labor. And I truly do believe that's because I was kind of confident about the different aspects of it, what I could um, be offered. Every time, even when I took a urine test, Chloe, I would be like, okay, what are you testing for? Can I see the strip? Is there anything wrong? You know what I mean? I'm always asking questions. Can you explain what you're looking for in this scan? What are you doing? I always ask them to talk through things with me so that because in my mind, I already had a checklist of what I needed to get out of this appointment. And if you've missed something, then babes, you're going to have to push back your next person because we're going to have to do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's the thing as well I've noticed is that there's, you know, they have time allocated slots. Yes, it's a pandemic. But like even when I go for my appointment at 11.30 and I'm not seen until 12.15, like admittedly it's annoying. However, being in this position now where, you know, I'm speaking to people like you and you're saying things like this, it's important that we get the time that we need and we're not like, you know, section to 15 minutes only, sorry, any other questions you got, you got to go, like, you know. Exactly. Take your time, really prepare before your appointment, especially as, you know, we are now in a situation where unfortunately we can't have access to uh, midwives as frequently as we would have pre-pandemic um so i do think it's important you know if you know you're going in for an eight-week scan just do a quick google check and be like okay what is meant to happen at eight-week scan what was meant to happen at a six-week scan what was meant to happen at the four-week scan or whatever um and not scan sorry appointment and then just find out what you've missed and then just see if they can you know do that in that appointment because like I said, yes, we can go to triage or you can turn up at A&E at night, but I do think that the preparation for those appointments make all the difference. And that's what our white counterparts are doing. Best believe they're calling up the midwife whenever they've got questions. You know, they're not hesitating. And I don't see why we do, why we do. Yeah, I was literally speaking to another friend in um, Australia and she was saying the exact same thing to me. She was like, get on the phone. She was like, if I speak to you by Friday, this is my deadline, um, and you haven't called them up, I'm going to be mad at you because this is what you need to do. Like, that's what they're there for. I know it's a pandemic, um, but this is what they're there for. But I also don't understand, like, where the lack of midwives has come from. I did speak to another midwife on this podcast and she's private and I'm thinking are most of them private like are they I guess in a way independent yeah it is it, so wild it's so wild and um before I decided to go NHS we were actually going to 
go private but then it just didn't make sense given the fact that we were in a pandemic like so for instance one of the reasons I wanted to go private is because I was like okay cool I get to stay there for like five days afterwards I get to kind of like settle in but then given that COVID was flying around I was like as soon as I had my baby I want to leave I want to leave the hospital but when it comes to the midwives and stuff from what I understand is that when you're you know how England is set up right when you're paying for something you're going to get better service unfortunately that's just the way it is in Australia, their standard of healthcare, their public standard of healthcare is so much better than it is here. It's the equivalent to private, which I think, you know, is unfortunate that we don't have that here. So what happens in the um, NHS, from my understanding, is that you're often not allocated a midwife, a dedicated midwife. Unlike if you're private, you'd have that, you know, first point direct contact with that midwife and therefore you don't have someone that is dedicated solely to you so one day they could be on the labor ward the next they could be on the the water birthing ward and they're just getting thrown around according to their rota for that day or that week which makes it quite hard for you or me as a black woman going through the NHS to kind of like have that direct point of contact and can often just feel like you're alone in it. You're just getting thrown around for someone, you know? Especially when you think about the disparities on top of that. That's so, exactly. Cause I know I could, by what you said, I know a lot of people could say, yeah, but what about the other, what about Asian women? What about um, white mothers? Um, what about that? But I guess when you throw on the disparities on top of it, that's where this, that's where the context comes from. That's exactly it. And statistics don't lie. So that's all I'm going to say on that. You just dropped about five different quotes. This is why I love you. You're amazing. Um, I just got, I've got two more questions because I know we've got to go. Um, it's one of those Fridays. Um, but I want to ask you specifically as someone, I don't know how you refer to yourself, but in my head, you are a presence. You have a presence on the internet. You have a presence in real life. You have a presence in your career your field how do you deal with motherhood in this age of social media and when privacy is that's a really really good question actually so um I don't know if you've noticed but on the dear black mum page I've not put a picture of Zion I don't put his face on that page at all and that's simply because that page is about motherhood it's not about my child it's not about him as much as I love him it's not about that I don't do collaborations with brands you're not going to see his face there he's not a commodity he's not a commodity and that's one aspect of my life that I would like to remain quite private um I think that the way that I deal with it is that I put things out there that I think I would need to know as a mother rather than I would like to know, if that makes sense. So I could be looking at your page, Chloe, and I could be like, oh, Chloe's a mum of twins. I would love to see what our children are wearing. I don't need to know that today, do I? I, I like to look at X person. I like to see their, their babies and stuff, but I don't need to know about that, do I? What I would need to know about is, oh, okay, my son's teething. 
what do I need to give him? So I think that's how I kind of like tailor my presence online and kind of balance that with, with the private aspect of it. It is quite hard though. It is quite hard because sometimes you're like, oh, I do want to show his face or I do want to do this or I do want to do that. And he he's obviously featured on my private page. Well, my my Colleen Mensa page, you see his face there. But because I think Dear Black Mum is a page about motherhood, I was very, very um, intentional about solely ded dedicating that page to Black motherhood. Does that make sense? 100% I love that um, and I think it's a question that I don't hear a lot um, so I wanted to ask you because it's very important for me um, and then okay so it's kind of like two questions in one but how did you I mean how are you managing your career during this time because essentially we've had this conversation you worked up until a certain mm. point um, and also so how did you kind of create that structure for yourself and how are you managing it now? And what are your plans about going back and that kind of thing? So I'm still maternity leave at the moment. I've taken the full year off. So I am due to be back in September. But up until then, I am someone who was very blessed to have had quite a easy pregnancy. Easy in that the only thing that really held me back was the tiredness, the fatigue. So I'm driven by routine. Um, but I had to learn to be very, very flexible with that. So I leaned in more to the things that made me feel good whilst I was pregnant. So if I knew that being outside made me feel good, then I was going to try and incorporate walks into my day, for instance. Um, I slept a hell of a lot. <laughs> And um, I also really, really took my self-care seriously. I know that's a buzzword at the moment, but as a pregnant woman um, back then, it was important for me to have massages, have time to read books, listen to audiobooks, get baths in, meditate, those sort of things. Um, so I was very vocal about that as well to my team. And thankfully, I work within a team whereby they were very, very um, supportive. So I would block out times in my day, like hours in my day, and I'd be like, you know what, I need to nap during this time, no call. Um, but then if I could work later on, I would do that. And my job is quite very, it is intense. I was working ridiculously long hours, but if I couldn't do it, I was very vocal about the fact that it's probably not gonna happen today. Sorry, not sorry. Um, because I changed my mindset and I was like, I've got someone else that I've got to put before me now, you know? So that was how I managed it whilst I was pregnant. Now I'm obviously on maternity leave. So it's a lot easier because I'm actually not in the office, but then I do do other bits on the side. Um, but then with that, again, it boils down to routine for me. And I'm strict about that, really strict about that because he comes first, I'm a mother first now. Um, and when I go back, I am obviously probably going to be working from home, but I'm probably not going to do five days a week. I'm probably going to be doing three or four days a week. And then I'll ease myself into it and see how that goes. So that's how I plan to 
kind of manage it. <laughs> okay, and just one last question. Um, what are your two favorite tracks at the moment? What is on repeat apart from Zion's music? Freeze Tag by Terence Martin, Robert Glasper and Ninth Wonder. Listen to that song. Tell me that the chords are not amazing. Tell me that the lyrics on top do not slap. And thank me for putting you onto that song. Absolutely love that song. Um, and then what else have I been listening to at the moment? That's a favorite song of mine. Um, you know what? I think it's just probably got to be a Stevie Wonder song because that's what I've been playing Zion all the time. So Love is in Need of Love by Stevie Wonder, which is old school, but a favorite at the moment. Mm -hmm.